The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky, built by Kingsters for Kingsters, Poly, Queer, Trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free. Featuring personalities as their authentic selves, this is What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. It's an intimate conversation with people inside the kink and fetish worlds, as well as educators, sex-positive personalities, and other amazing people sharing their stories of what makes them who they are. And now, here is our own wonderful human with the questions, John or as he is known around the kink and fetish community. Hi there, Catsuit. Hello there, Nookie, and welcome to the program and to all of our listeners. As we head into the new year, we'll be looking to bring you more great guests as well as some concept shows that discuss some different topics as well. And we will start that with a return visit from a doctor that sees the turn on in love to create the best experiences we can imagine. Dr. Allison Ash, a.k.a. Dr. Alley, is a trauma-informed intimacy coach and educator, Stanford University lecturer, author, and founder of TurnOn.Love. As a sociologist with a PhD from Stanford, she has a comprehensive understanding of the complex societal challenges that often lead to unsatisfying and disempowering sexual experiences. She designs workshops, courses, and retreats, and offers individuals and couples coaching to give others the tools to discover their desires and confidently pursue them. Dr. Alley invites you to turn on pleasure, intimacy, and love at www.turnon.love. Dr. Alley, on what women and other wonderful humans want. Dr. Ali, it's great to have you back on the show with us. What have you been up to since we saw you way back in season one? Well, let's see. I have been creating this masterclass course called Sexual and Emotional Intimacy Skills, which I now teach at Stanford. I'm also delighted to offer once a year in a virtual format to a wider global audience. And um, and so that's launching actually in January, which I'm delighted to, to share more about. And I've also expanded my coaching practice. And I now have a team of amazing coaches working with me who I've spent a lot of time training and and uh, supervising. And it's just been really a delight to get to do more mentorship and working in this capacity. It's It's been a fun new endeavor. The amazing thing about West Coast universities, and I'm putting Stanford in here, I'm putting the University of Washington in here because we've had uh, one of their professors on 
who literally teaches the most popular class at the University of Washington now, which is in sex education. And she brings in uh, fetish people. She brings in polyamorous people and talks about all that. How is the vibe at Stanford? What is, uh, you sometimes think of Stanford as uh, part very conservative, but part very liberal. What is it like, the, the vibe at Stanford these days? Well, I think you hit it right on the head right there. There's a there's that mix. And I think one of the things that's really impressive and quite progressive about Stanford is their wellness education program. And they offer so many diverse classes on life skills, things that I really wish I had left college learning, like accounting and healthy eating and how to create new habits and sex education and healthy intimacy skills and relating and just these topics that I think traditionally academia has really frowned upon or delegitimized and to create a platform for them is is really powerful. The last time we talked to each other was in the middle of COVID. We just talked via Zoom. I would talk to anybody via Zoom. That's about as close as I could get to folks. We talk so much about consent and intimacy. Now, here we are about two years later, and people are back to sex and intimacy. Do you think that time away, learning all the things that people have learned, have helped make them better people in love and intimacy now, after all that education that they kind of had time to have? <laughs> oh, I remember in the early pandemic days having a conversation with some sex educator friends and saying, well, at least hopefully as folks have to learn how to navigate COVID protocol conversations, they'll get better at navigating safer sex conversations. And I think I, I you know, I don't necessarily know that a lot of people got better at having COVID protocol conversations. And I don't necessarily know that that trickled into them having more useful sex negotiations. And, you know, I don't know if folks learning how to break bed or uh, grow kombucha or whatever else it may be. Um, yeah, how those skills may have translated. I, my hope is, is that, you know, I think the reality is, unfortunately, is that for a lot of folks, the pandemic was so hard socially, and mm -hmm. it created challenges in navigating social spaces that may not have existed before, or at least are feel more amplified now. And it created a lot of loneliness and a lot of hunger and unmet needs. And all of that can make it harder to create intimacy and make it feel more awkward and make us feel more insecure or uh, just out of practice. And mm -hmm. so I think that um, I know personally, I'm working with a lot of folks to help them figure out how to navigate intimacy post-pandemic. And also the other angle I'll share is that I think the pandemic was rough for a lot of couples. And a lot of couples did not make it through the pandemic. Mm. And so now they're out on the dating scene for the first time in who knows how many years. And so that's a new thing for them. Or the couples are still really working on rebuilding their relationship. And I think that's the area where I saw the most growth is that for couples for whom they were living lifestyles that were so busy, they didn't really have time to work on their core issues and what was lurking in the shadows or underneath the surface that they just 
never really attended to. And so I certainly have seen a, a large influx of folks who are have been and continue to want to really take advantage of this opportunity to strengthen their intimacy and find the spark again. One of the things that we talked about as far as this particular show, especially with the audience we have, is talk about fantasies and how they create such amazing opportunities for us. As a single person who got through the pandemic, a lot of fantasies go through the mind hoping that someday some of those fantasies might come close to being reality. What are some of the benefits of putting that imagination to work in everyday life? Fantasizing has so many benefits. And part of it is that it helps you explore your desires. It can help you try things on. It can create a sense of novelty or adventure. And fantasizing can be really helpful for folks who are unpartnered or don't have lovers, but it can also be really beneficial for folks who are partnered. Fantasies can be a way to reclaim your desires. It can be empowering. It can help you move through shame and explore areas where you have shame. It can help you process other kinds of challenging or conflicting experiences that you might be having, like jealousy or a desire to be controlled or dominating or to be in control or to maybe hurt somebody or whatever else it may be. Um, and, you know, there's actually empirical evidence that demonstrates that there's a connection between the mind and the body when it comes to pleasure, such that uh, when folks are using their imagination when they're masturbating. It's helping to strengthen the neural connections between our genitals and our nerve endings and the brain. And it can actually increase our capacity for pleasure. I often say that there's several different sources of erotic charge and turn on. Uh, we have our fantasies, we have our memories, we have maybe erotic material we're consuming, uh, and the sensations that we're experiencing in our body, a more embodied approach. And I think it can be helpful to draw on all of them. I have a vivid imagination. And so I my fantasies can go all sorts of different ways from the story I'm actually writing uh, now as we tape this, which talks about meeting a potential play partner for the first time and having it move on to this amazing journey into a level of kink I would have never imagined. And my imagination is taking me there. Or it can be something as simple as writing a quick idea where do the best kind of fantasies start? Do they start with that little germ of an idea that you take into a bigger thing? Or do you just kind of go with the flow and improvise as you go along? Well, I think that a lot of folks, let's back up and just say that different folks have different ease of access with regards to fantasizing. Mm -hmm. Some folks can fantasize really fluidly and some folks find it really challenging. And for the folks who find it challenging, I always like to help them realize that they probably do fantasize about 
maybe how they would spend a million dollars or what their ideal vacation might be. Uh, it's applying that in a more sexual setting that could feel edgy or foreign or scary. And it can bring up sources of shame around what we like or the experiences we've had or haven't mm -hmm. had or our internalized homophobia or sexism or misogyny or whatever else it may be. And all of that can be really stimulating and activating and, and edgy. And so, um, I think that when folks are wanting to explore fantasizing, there's a couple things that can be really helpful. First, embracing mental liberation, right? You are entitled to think whatever it is that you want to think in your mind. It's a space where you actually don't have to worry about consent. You don't have to worry about the well-being of people involved. You're not negatively harming anybody or impacting anybody. And to allow yourself to have that mental liberation, I think is really helpful because when we start to put up walls between what we think is hot in this kind of a setting, then it starts to feel really confining in a way where it's like in improv, that whole yes and idea of like, you don't want to stop improv by being like, no, that's silly. Mm -hmm. uh, and how can you yes and your fantasies in your own mind and creating a safe space for you to do that? And part of that might actually mean uh, moving through some shame or working with a counselor or a therapist to explore uh, any shame that you might be harboring around, harboring around your desires. Um, and then I think also something that can be really useful is to realize that creativity doesn't originate out of nothing. Creativity requires a spark. It mm -hmm. requires amuse inspiration and so we need to have sources of erotic inspiration and so i often am working with clients to help them gather material for their fantasies where can you draw ideas of what turns you on maybe it's listening to sexy podcasts or reading sexy stories or looking at sexy photos or watching porn i think that there's a real benefit to non-visual forms of erotica because it actually invites your mind to participate more fully mm -hmm. and start to fill in the gaps and to start to notice what is it that turns you on? What are the themes of the things that turn you on? And even more importantly than the specific actions, which is useful. I mean, definitely useful to build ideas of things that you want to try, whether it's in person or just in your fantasy mind. One of the other things I think can be really helpful is not just to pay attention to the specific acts that you find hot and erotic, which is also really helpful, but also to consider what is the emotional undercurrent. Mm -hmm. When you are thinking about these things that you find hot, the porn that you're watching, a story that you're reading, the story that a friend is telling you about something that happened to them, or if you're even thinking about some of your own hottest sexual experiences that you've had in real life, what? how did you feel or how do you imagine feeling if you were in that, that situation, if you were one of the actors in that porn or in that story? Because I think that that's really, really helpful. If you know that you get off on feeling dominated, that's a really great place to helping you start to 
think about where you want to start to fantasize or if feeling really sought after and fought over or maybe it's the feeling of being worshipped and precious or maybe it's the feeling of not having to worry about anything um, or being completely competent or feeling merged and completely consumed by the other person, right? Whatever the emotional element is, that's a really helpful place to start. Just as helpful as knowing I like to explore domination or edge play or um, fantasies around sex and nature or whatever else it may be. I lived through a marriage where... I had this huge imagination. I've been an improviser since I was 40. I was in broadcasting where I had to come up with ad libs, had to totally use my imagination for everything. And the person I was married to did not have an imagination. Almost worked against having an imagination. Like, Hey, honey, you you want to fool around tonight? And it was always the same. Okay, either she's on top or I'm on top. And there was two different positions we tried. Two. And I would say, honey, don't you fantasize about anything? And she would be like, no, not really. So how do you bridge that? How do you have one person who is this fertile ground for all these things to grow and the other one who just wants to get it over with. How do you bring them together to encourage the one who may not have the fantasies to open themselves to them? Well, I think you're speaking to maybe perhaps two different scenarios okay. one is with or if not please let me know I, i'm hearing there's a scenario in which the partner is maybe just not that into sex they just want to get it over with and one is one in which they're maybe just not fantasizing much and of course they can overlap but they could also happen independently mm -hmm. so if somebody is kind of just wanting sex to be over with that's certainly where I would start and I would help them start to figure out what's in it for them sometimes people start to have sex because they feel a sense of obligation or guilt or they want their partner to be happy or to feel satisfied but then they can build resentment over the long run or they can start to disconnect from their body or from themselves or from their own incentive to mm -hmm. have sex and so maybe it's helping them start a self-pleasure practice or helping them start to learn how to co-create their sexual encounters so that it's feeling more attuned to what they're wanting um and th that's a whole bunch of skills that i think can be really helpful that may or may not include fantasizing uh it's a little different of approach that i would take if somebody was like oh i enjoy having sex i just don't like to fantasize or i just don't know how to fantasize and in that case i would ask them well do you want to because you know i think it can be helpful but it's certainly not there's not a one-size-fits-all formula that mm -hmm. is prescriptive that something's wrong with you because somehow you don't fantasize um but if they want to learn how to fantasize if they think that they would benefit from having access to this ability and they want to have some mentorship and support getting there, uh, I would really start by 
perusing erotica with them. Mm. Erotica is, can be very daunting and very overwhelming. And it can also be really bonding and funny and sweet and intimate uh, to do with somebody and to be able to talk about like what was hot about that, what wasn't hot, how would you do it or want it to do, to do it differently. And I think also one of the things that's important about fantasizing is to remind folks that there can be fantasies that you want to have happen in real life and fantasies that you don't want to have happen in real life. There can be fantasies that you want to share with somebody and fantasies that you don't ever want to share with anybody. And I know that I have a range of fantasies that fall in all of those different buckets. Um, and that can be helpful too, to remind folks that uh, you can fantasize about things that feel naughty or wrong or that you would never want to do in real life but can be really kinky to go to in your mind you talked about the word shame a little bit earlier and some people may find that it's shameful to have fantasies in their mind first of all i think that's tragic because somebody has put this thought in there that something is wrong when Heck, I'm 59 now, and I'm feeling better about shame than I ever have than when I was in my 20s and 30s, because I realized that the only normal is the normal I have for myself. So if you are, if you have a partner that is hesitant to go there, because of shame, what are some of the things that you can do to be supportive of them to help them move over that bridge and feel more comfortable because they've had this entire life of whether it be religion or parents or whatever telling them, no, you can't do that. That's right. Well, shame at its core is a fear of rejection. And so therefore the antidote to shame is acceptance and empathy and belonging. And so the challenge is, is that because we don't want to experience rejection, we have a tendency to hide the things that we're feeling ashamed about. And so then we don't get this experience of acceptance or empathy. And so then that shame festers. Or we're not surrounded by people who have compassion and emotional intelligence and know how to offer empathy. And worst case scenario, they shame us for the things we're feeling ashamed about. And then that can create even deeper wounding and trauma. And so I think what's so important is when somebody is vulnerable and opens up with you about shame that they're feeling, to treat that as a huge gift that they trust you, that they want to let you in and to give them acceptance and compassion. And even if you don't think what they think is hot, you can still celebrate that they think it's hot mm -hmm. or you can celebrate that they trust you enough to tell you and you can accept them and love them and make them feel like they belong with you, even if you don't want to do their fantasy with them. We do this show without paid advertisers and provide it to you as a labor of love. If you want to help the show, as well as contribute to Catsuit's conference fund to get live interviews and teach some amazing classes, you can give at bit.ly slash thanks, Catsuit. 
Now let's hear from some of Catsuit's friends with some messages for you. Welcome to the Yoniverse. I'm Scarlett. And I'm Anya. The Flaming Yoni podcast is a celebration of the beautiful and unique expressions of female sexuality. From asexual to megasexual, from lifelong monogamy to relationship anarchy, from deep spiritual bonds of sacred union to spur the moment flames. It is all infused with Yoni energy. Search for the Flaming Yoni on your favorite podcast platform. You will not leave the same as when you came. Hi, this is Venus, and I have a special message going out to all the single ladies listening right now. What if you could have a committed, loving relationship with a partner who is monogamous to you, but who would love to see you have sexual experiences with others? Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, it's not. You really can have your cake and eat it too. You can have it all. Learn more at venusconnections.com. That's venusconnections.com. Have you ever dreamed of a house that is kink-friendly in every room? Have you ever wanted a getaway where your every desire is contained within steps? In Cincinnati, Ohio, the Wanton Sinners B&B is now open. Two kink-equipped bedrooms a fully equipped basement dungeon, and a living room with cages and restraint points throughout. And you can leave your toy bag at home because every space comes with plenty of toys and restraints. Visit Wanton Sinners on FET and follow the links to the Airbnb and Verbo listings. The Wanton Sinners B&B in Cincinnati, where your dreams have a home. The Heart of the Dominatrix. Portraits and Interviews of Exceptional Mistresses. This book is about female domination. This book is about dark corners, both physically and psychologically. This book is for you, whether you're a beginner or have decades of experience with BDSM. If you're eager to learn more about power exchange dynamics or are simply interested in relationships and the aesthetics of this world. This book will change your perspectives. Be warned. Visit heartofthedominatrix.com to order your copy today. We invite you to connect with us on social media so you can follow all the great news about the show. You can find us on Twitter at WhatWomenWantP1, on Instagram at WhatWomenWantPodcast, and on FetLife at www.podcast. And if you want to follow the host, that's easy, as on Twitter, Instagram, and FetLife, he is Hi There Catsuit. And now back to what women and other wonderful humans want, presented by Dating Kinky. I love the fact that when sometimes I talk about the catsuit side of me as opposed to the John side of me, that I have friends who are like, God, I wish I could be that open and just live the life like I want to. And there seems to be a little bit of envy with that. The funny thing is that the converse can also be true. That the person who is all out there would sometimes like to have that just fine intimacy that two people have in a very 
common, I don't want to call it normal because it's not normal, but uh, more of a romantic way than a fantasy way. It just seems like we always want what the other has. And I think that's part of what fantasy world can be about. It's like fantasizing about what we're wanting or what we're not experiencing or what we would like to explore or what a part of us is into that maybe the rest of us doesn't really find fully in alignment, but it can be fun to explore every once in a while or you know, it's a space for exploration. It's a, and that can be exploration of desires or identities or different aspects of self that maybe don't get to be expressed very often. And so when I hear stuff like that, I really think about unmet needs. Maybe for mm -hmm. them, they have some unmet needs to feel unrestrained and have spaces where they feel more accepted for all of themselves maybe for you it's a feeling of more tenderness or more intimacy or whatever else it may be that mm -hmm. that, that you could feel longing for let's talk about some of the most common fantasies what would be the i guess seed that you would plant that is a common fantasy that just about anybody can understand well, I think a lot of folks fantasize about novelty or variety, uh, something that feels like gets them out of their sense of boredom or routine. Um, that's pretty normal. And I think mm -hmm. also a lot of people fantasize about things related to power or control. That's both maybe being more dominating or being submissive, something that's a little taboo, kinky. That's pretty common. Fantasy is also around non-monogamy or group sex. That's becoming more and more common as non-monogamy is becoming more talked about in mainstream. Uh, there's a lot of fantasies that are more passionate, more romantic, and that really have people feel special or important or loved. Um, and then, of course, I think fantasies around exploring gender experiences and sexual fluidity and just being able to imagine those kinds of things uh in a fantasy world is is it's not uncommon for folks i am of the mind that you mentioned that non-monogamy is getting more talked about i am of the mind that kink is getting more talked about we see it in mainstream television shows now that's right. We see it on uh, Netflix shows that are entirely based on kink, whether it be bonding or how to build a sex room. Are we at the precipice of, hey, this is just something that other people do? No big thing. I sure hope so. I really do. I have to admit, it's a little hard for me because I am in such a Bay Area bubble. And so it having things like Netflix series are really helpful for helping me see what mainstream America is consuming. Um, and I think that Fifty Shades of Grey, for as problematic as it is, and I mean, if you haven't read it, you know, it doesn't really depict healthy kink for a variety of reasons <clears throat> which may be a topic for a different show but what it did do 
was it it brought kink into the mainstream 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 <clears throat> and i think that that really had people get curious and created some permission for folks to start to talk about it and explore it a little bit more. I don't know if you're familiar with the myth of normality. I think this concept is really interesting and it's in line with what you were sharing earlier in this recording, which was this idea that folks tend to only talk about what they think is normal. And then it perpetuates this myth of normality that what we talk about is that is normal is actually what's normal and it's a myth because the reality is is that what people are interested or exploring is falling far outside the small window of what people perceive to be normal and therefore are talking about in a mainstream fashion and so you know it's perpetuating this kind of subculture mentality and and community structure which is beautiful in, in some ways but it also perpetuates this myth of normality that can exasperate feelings of shame or make it feel scary and edgy for people to talk about and explore. I find this very interesting in the fact that a big kink or fetish that you see now is 1950s household. <laughs> Basically, the epitome of, quote, normal how does that dynamic create fantasy when it is basically taking it back to a time when everything was just very very straight laced and non-imaginatives maybe well, I'm imagining that if you're in it, if it's the water you're swimming in, it's non-imaginative. Mm -hmm. But if you're not in it and you're trying to create a world in which there is a particular power hierarchy or where there's more of a service orientation or where there's whatever kind of gender play that they're into, whatever it's feeding the fantasy to explore that. There's something underlining that, some emotional experience that's fueling that, mm -hmm. that may be harder to come by nowadays than it was in the 50s. So in the 50s, that was more normal, air quotes, whatever that may mean. And now <laughs> it's more kinky because it's actually considered more abnormal. I want to talk a little bit about the fact that this show has been able to talk to so many different guests about so many different things that at one point somebody thought was absolutely wrong. And now we've gotten to a point, and this goes beyond the, I guess you could say, exposure of kink as normal, but even to the embracing of kink and fetish to where you see not only more and more people bringing it up in the mainstream, but you see the people who are practicing it, practicing it in a way that seems like it's growing every single day. FetLife isn't getting less subscribers these days. As much as a place as that is, it grows every day. It's amazing. I'm so grateful for places like Fat Life where folks can 
find resources, community, that sense of acceptance and belonging we were speaking about earlier, a place to find events, to find sex positive classes and workshops. And it's just deeply normalizing to go on to something like FetLife or, you know, your local munch or whatever else it may be and discover other people like you or discover other discover other people who are wearing their cat suit or flying their freak flag or whatever else it is, even if it's not your kink, seeing other people own their kink can be deeply inspiring. You talked about the Bay Area bubble. And I think it can be defined as the fact that you can have a Folsom street fair and it's just another day. And for those of our listeners who don't know what a Folsom street fair is, I'll let you describe it a little bit, but that is a normal every day for you all. It's a time where you all celebrate everything that is so cool about that area. But at the same time, it can be just another day where in the rest of the country, oh my God, all the freaks are out at the same time. What's going on? That's right. Yeah. I think that, I mean, something like Folsom Street Fair, which is a yearly fair that happens in the city where there are booths and demonstrations and flogging and pink wear for purchase and people are out being owned and ridden like horses and all sorts of things. It's just a wonderful place for uh, learning and demonstrations and for public displays of kinkery. And it's also a place where there is, you know, some kink tourism, whether it's locals or folks who travel for Folsom Street Fair. You know, I always found it a little interesting to have folks who are in street clothes right alongside folks who have horsetails up their asses and, you know, bits in their mouth. And I think that um, there's something that's really beautiful about that because it is this place where folks are getting exposed and where there's enough people who are doing it with pride and with embodiment and empowerment that it um, is a safe space. It's a safe space whether folks are kink tourists or not, you know. I want to take a quick break here. And when we come back on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, we will talk more about fantasies with Dr. Allie when we return. This is Alicia Zadig, author of the new book, Yes, Mistress. I'm also Mistress Alicia, a leading dominatrix and BDSM expert. My book, Yes, Mistress, takes you on a provocative, eye-opening journey into the erotic worlds of kink, fetish, and female domination. Join me for a fascinating conversation. Male submission is more common than you think and more rewarding than you can ever imagine. Yes, Mistress, now available on Kindle, and you can order your copy at yesmistress.com. Well, hi there, Catsuit. This is Jacqueline Powers, and yes, I really am back, recording new hypnosis files again on YouTube and also on Patreon for the more adventurous fans out there. And, John, I really enjoyed coming on your show so much and finding out that you had 
your very own experience with my hypnosis files. So, if you want to learn more about how I got started with online hypnosis, all you have to do is just listen to my interview on the What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want podcast. You all know I love my cat suits, and the ones that have never let me down come from the amazing Winter Fetish. I've had some of them for 10 years, and they're still going strong. Specifically made for fetish play, these suits come in only the best spandex or PVC with zippers made for action. You've seen them in the House of Lord, and it's always sunny in Philadelphia, and now these suits can be yours. And if you use the code www.spandexcat, you get 10% off your purchase and you support the show as well. And as always, I give you this promo because I believe in what Winter Fetish does. So visit winterfetish.com and use the promo code www.spandexcat and get the cat suit of your dreams from Winter Fetish. Hi, Dawn. Hi, Dan. Recently, we put together a brand new book called Hearts and Collars, reflecting 20 years in a power exchange relationship. It's 350 pages of what we've been living for the past 20 years. Indeed, and it's got chapters like communication, power exchange and spirituality, how to be a leader, high protocol, becoming a follower, rituals, the new porch time, victim, survivor, and thriver, power exchange and polyamory, submissive versus wife, the Practical Contract Guide, Relationship short Shorthand, as well as other tools and experiences we've had over the years. Check it out at eroticawakening.com slash hearts and collars. Bye, Dan. Bye, Dawn. Hi there. I'm Nookie. My pronouns are she, hers, and I'm the founder of Dating Kinky, a different kind of dating and educational site for kinksters, poly, queer, trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free. Catch me in my own podcast, Dating Kinky. And now back to John and their guest on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Thank you, Nookie, and welcome back to the show. I'm joined by Dr. Allison Ash, otherwise known as Dr. Allie, from TurnOn.Love. I'm guessing that that website continues to grow each and every day. Thankfully, it does. I want to talk about how people share fantasies. I know that I love writing mine and actually sharing them with all of FetLife and all of the world because it makes it a lot of fun to see other people's reactions. What are some of the best ways to share fantasies with others or with a group? Well, I think that sharing fantasies with a group, there are wonderful places like FetLife or Literatica. There's places where you can post it open source and leave it available for folks. And that's just so great because I, I know as a reader of Erotica, I'm so grateful for the folks out there who are creative like you and have such a rich fantasy world and are willing to share it for our uh, greedy consumption because I know that my fantasy world has gotten so much better as a result of sites like that. 
I think when we're thinking about sharing fantasies with partners, it's a little different. It's oftentimes coupled with a desire to have that fantasy happen in real life. And I think it can be helpful from the start when you're sharing a fantasy with somebody to specify, like, is this a fantasy that you just think is hot in your mind, but you don't want to have happen in real life? You just want to tell them because you think it would be fun to tell them or whatever it may be. Or is this a fantasy that you are sharing because you, you're curious if they're into it? And if that's the latter, to remind them that there's no obligation. I think that's so important because if the person who's hearing your fantasy knows that they're not in any way obligated to meet you in it, it's going to be so much easier for them not to get defensive or judgy and to hold that space of empathy and curiosity. And you might even give them some pointers around how you'd like them to respond. So you could say something like, I have a fantasy I want to share with you. If you're into it, maybe we could explore doing it in real life. If you're not into it, no pressure. There's zero obligation here. I just think it would be hot to tell you either way. And what would be so helpful for me is that even if you're not into it, if you could just like celebrate that I think it's hot and that I want to be close with you by telling you and, um, and yeah, does that sound okay to you? So get their buy-in for something like that. And when you're telling them a fantasy, make sure you include how you imagine feeling in the fantasy. Because when you give them that kind of content, that creates intimacy. It's vulnerable. And vulnerability is what creates intimacy. And it also helps them empathize with you. Because even if they don't think the specific fantasy is hot, maybe they can empathize with you wanting to feel that way. Maybe they think a group gangbang is way too edgy for them but they can really empathize with the feeling of wanting to be used and desired by multiple people and when you're sharing your fantasy right they might be totally into it they might be into it because you're into it and they think that's hot they might be a little hesitant or afraid, but curious and open and willing to give it a try, or they might be a hard no. And even if they're a hard no to your fantasy, that's not like a be all end all deal breaker around your needs getting met or your wants getting met. Because again, if you can think about what the fan what the feeling is that you want to feel then you two can come to the table together and co-create a fantasy that they are open to doing that would give you that same feeling that you're craving feeling. Or another option would be maybe they're not into doing it in real life, but they're open to role-playing or dirty talking it with you. Um, and so like maybe they're not open to a threesome, for example, but they're willing to have a dirty talk session or role play having a threesome with just the two of you or whatever else it may be. <laughs> so you know I think that there's a lot of creative potential that can come from sharing your fantasies even if they're not into doing it specifically how you would like to do it or imagine doing it. One of the things that's so amazing about you is you have taught courses that have been for academic purposes for everyday purposes and you have an eight-week course that's coming up in later January about sexual and emotional intimacy, the skills master course. This sounds like an awful lot to take in. Tell me what to expect 
in this particular course? Well, I really love teaching this class because there's something really special, intimate, if you will, about getting to work with folks over the course of a couple of months and to get to track their progress and see how material integrates over a longer period of time and what happens as they start to try to apply the skills and put them into practice in their relationships and to come back and to report about it and to get more support or guidance if needed. There's something that's really special about that kind of container. So this is a two-month course. Uh, the classes are all recorded and offered for folks who can't catch any of the specific classes live or want extra review. I have a thorough Q&A session, which is always, I think, a really enriching part, part of the class where folks can get a lot of added benefit and, and make sure to combine a lot of experiential exercises and practices with a lot of science-backed data and, and skills. And I include a combination of lecture with these optional breakout rooms for folks to get to discuss their experiences with other people and practice skills with other folks. Um, it's open to folks who are single or partnered or monogamous or non-monogamous or vanilla or kinky. It really spans the entire spectrum because these skills are applicable across the board. Um, and for folks who are taking it with their partner, you could do the exercises with each other if you prefer, or you could branch out and explore with other people, which I think can be really helpful as well. And everything is optional. I'm a really big believer in consent, most especially in my workshops and courses. And so if for any reason the breakouts feel too intimidating to you, I suggest that you still come and check it out because uh, I do a lot of care to create a safe space for everybody. And then in terms of the material that we cover, we go over a pretty wide range of topics, including navigating the nuances of consent. How do you actually negotiate your experiences so that you can figure out what falls in your uh, overlapping shared yeses, right? Your Venn diagram of overlapping yeses. <laughs> uh, I talk about boundaries, how to set them, how to receive them, why they're so important, a lot around embodiment and nervous system care, and how do you soothe yourself and uh, be a lot, uh, help yourself be soothed by other people, which is so important for creating healthy attachment and bonds. We talk a lot about emotional depth and intimacy, including empathy and vulnerability, and a lot about unpacking shame and fantasies and exploring erotica, skills for flirting and seducing and expressing desire, increasing your capacity to give and receive pleasure. Um, and we talk about conflict and how to repair ruptures when they happen. And then I always end the course with talking about how to pick partners and end relationships. And I think this is valuable, even if you're in a monogamous uh, ongoing partnership because the reality is is that we're picking partners all the time whether it's for friendships for people to live with for collaborations for work and we're ending relationships all the time and I think that we don't really know how to process grief and how to be in that natural life cycle of relationships and what I love about intimacy skills is that they're applicable in so many different arenas in our life with our families with our friends with our colleagues and so yeah, I think that that's a, a valuable note to end on. There is a concept that seems to follow me what, no matter if I'm doing this podcast, if I'm talking to people in the content industry or just everyday life. Mm 
The fact is you're never alone. There is always someone or some group that understands you. You can always say, nobody understands me. Everybody doesn't understand what I'm doing. And the old cognitive distortions, which can creep into our lives. But especially with a course like this, if you're not sure of how you're feeling with sex and intimacy and sharing those emotions, you can feel support just from the people around you. And so from a personal perspective, I can see the empowerment of going into something like this where people might not know the language to talk about, but they know how they feel and they know they want to express it and just don't quite know how to do it. That's right. I think it can be deeply deshamifying to hear other people have experiences that are similar to your own. And it can also be really eye-opening and also inspiring to hear about people who have experiences that are very different from your own. And I think that that's something that uh, everybody benefits from when they take this course, getting a healthy dose of both of those experiences. And, you know, hearing you share what you said, I, I couldn't agree more. And it just makes me think about how grateful I am for the advent of the internet, because it really does make it possible for folks to find other people like them who are into what they're into. And I've, I've written a book on trans discrimination in the workplace. And one of the most notable findings I had was how different the experiences were of trans folks who grew up before the internet versus after the internet and how isolating and how alone and how not normal and how much shame they felt because they didn't know anybody else who was like them and how different that is. I mean not to say that uh, trans folks who are born or coming of age after the internet don't have those experiences. I don't mean to imply that at all, but it's different. It's different when you can find other people. I mean, even to be able to put words to it, to be able to understand your experience. And that's true for folks with any experience that is considered big air quotes here, non-normative, meaning that um, it might not be something that you just find mainstream. Uh, and, you know, depending on where you grow up or what part of the country you're from, a lot of us might be not uh, easy to find. And so thank goodness for the internet where we can find people who are into the things that we're into, whether it's our um, identities or our kinks or our fantasies or whatever else it may be. I remember, and I've told the story on this podcast a couple of times about walking into an adult bookstore on Harry Hines Boulevard in Dallas, Texas, when I was 18 years old. And I had had the catsuit fetish or the skin tight fetish or spandex fetish and bondage fetish. And I was like, gosh, I'm so abnormal or I'm so out there. And walking into a bookstore and seeing a cover of a magazine of a woman in a latex catsuit tied up to a St. Andrew's cross. And I went, oh, my God, I'm not alone. Mm hmm. That was life before the internet. Yeah. And now you can turn on the internet and Instagram will even suggest pictures to you <laughs> based on what you happen to look at. And I am amazed at the amount 
of catsuit fetishes or latex fetishes around the world. And of course, I jokingly say there's none here in Cincinnati, but around the world. <laughs> and so all you latex fetish folks out there in Cincinnati, you know, you should hit up John. <laughs> <laughs> and I would welcome them with with open arms and, and uh, probably a, a spray bottle of lube because they want me to shine them up. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Alley, it's always good to visit with you. And uh Best of luck, although I know you don't need it because you are so amazing at what you do with the course coming up. And we always look forward to visiting with you anytime you have something new coming down the pike. So uh, we, I won't say uh, so long. I will say until next time. Thank you. You know, I just, I love talking with you. You bring such a charm and a vulnerability and an open mind and attitude. And I just really appreciate the platform that you provide for folks to share their work and to help people have access to some of those de-shamifying content and material. It's a really big service that you do. And um, just thank you for welcoming me back. And I definitely look forward to the next time. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> I see you over there. <laughs> Always a great time visiting with Dr. Ali. I love the topics we went into today, and they'll be of great use to everyone, not just our beloved kinky audience. And remember, her next course is available now and starts on January 24th for eight consecutive Tuesday nights. The Sexual and Emotional Intimacy Skills Master Course all the details at turnon.love. A big thank you to Dr. Allie for her house call with us today. And thank you to you, our listeners. Some great shows ahead. So pass the word on to a friend you think might enjoy our show. I sure appreciate it. I'm John, also known as Hi There Catsuit. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time. And I remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you. Join us on Twitter at WhatWomenWantP1. On Instagram at WhatWomenWantPodcast. For our kinky friends on FetLife at www.podcast. And now, select shows are available in video format at youtube.com slash datingkinky. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky. Built by kinksters for kinksters, poly, queer, trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free.